You're listening to the Tuesday Talks podcast, your source of truth in communications, identity management, and technology. On today's episode, Pierce Gorman returns as the host alongside Sarah Delphi, who recently joined the numerical team as the vice president of Trust Solutions. Together, they report on the status and expected future of Stirshaken and discuss establishing trust in a phone call via Know Your Customer, from verifying the originating identity and service provider to every party in between. Welcome to Tuesday Talks, a live discussion series where we bring truth and shed light across the brand identity and the communications industry. I'm Pierce Gorman, member of Numerical's technical staff, and today I'm joined by Sarah Delphi, Numerical's Vice President of Trust Solutions. If you'd like to know a little bit more about me, my background, check out Numerical's latest Inside the Innovators article where I talk about my experience helping to develop and deploy call authentication standards. Sarah has over a decade of experience when it comes to risk mitigation and customer policy creation and is an industry expert in trust solutions, especially know your customer. Sarah, can you share a little more about you and your expertise for the audience? Sure. Thanks, Pierce. Hi, everybody. Uh, It's good to join one of these for the first time. Uh, Hopefully, I'm invited back. We'll see by the end of this. Uh, But yep, as Pierce said, I am Numerical's VP of Trust Solutions. I've joined the company relatively recently. I uh, spent a bunch of prior years at Bandwidth where I was responsible for, uh, essentially I was director of traffic assurance. I led the risk mitigation functions, campaign registration functions and uh, fraud mitigation team there. So very familiar, my experiences in, you know, end to end customer evaluation and monitoring. And uh, yeah, just really excited to be able to join the team. We're very excited to have you here too, Sarah. You know, you know that I feel very strongly about uh, trust and imbuing trust in call authentication. So I was really glad when you joined. So let's let's start by setting a foundation of where we currently stand and where we think we expect Stir Shaken is going. Based on the FCC requirement to report to Congress, they recently requested comments on efficacy and performance of Stir Shaken. And we're looking at the necessary iterations of Stir Shaken, where there is an increased focus on what is known about the caller, not just the call signer. Can you give us a flavor of the focus and the intent there? Yeah, so this is a really great opportunity. The FCC has requested comments um, from folks on the efficacy of stir shaken. Essentially, how are we doing? How's it going? What else do we need to be thinking about? And this is part of the trace act mandate for them to you know, form that report and send that information back to Congress so that they can continue to report back on how things are going. Um, And so as part of those comments and just in general with our advocacy that we're doing in industry, we're looking at, okay, essentially our perspective is Sir Shaken has established a really great framework for the transmission of information about the provenance of a call, about a call in general throughout that call flow but what we think is the next sort of iteration of stir shaken that needs to be looked at is how can we authenticate the actual caller information prior to that information being placed into a call and really the way that we're looking at for doing that is through refocusing on kyc principles which kyc is essentially you know know your customers sometimes you hear kyb know your business if you're working business customers And you also hear customer due diligence, depending on the industry you're working in and what terminology they use. All of this is essentially the framework of 
just what I was talking about earlier, understanding from the moment you begin that relationship all the way through the end of a customer relationship, authenticating who they are, what their intended use is on network, and you know, monitoring that existing activity. But mostly for our purposes, we're talking about, and we want, we think the next thing that the industry should really focus on is you know how do we identify that caller such that we for enforcement purposes can focus more on you know the caller themselves versus the environment we have right now where i think we're increasingly focused on finding bad actors in industry which is important but you know we need to start thinking about okay how can we get to that actual caller i agree with that wholeheartedly um, when I when I think about uh, KYC and customer due diligence, and I think about the work that goes on in validating the identity of the the caller, um, you know, it occurs to me that this is a, a pretty big challenge for um, the largest population of people who are impacted by the FCC regulations. So, um, the current um, waiver, or I shouldn't say waiver, the extension on implementation of Stir Shake and extends to um, small and rural service providers, service providers with less than 100,000 subscribers. And uh, more recently, the rule changed to cover um, voice over IP or non-facilities-based voice, uh, voice over IP service providers, which extends to, you know, very small businesses who heretofore had never had any obligation to do anything with call authentication. Um, I, I I wonder about their ability to do the customer due diligence and know your customer and whether or not they have, you know, the, the expertise, the tools, um, what are their infrastructure costs. So how do you see KYC in the context of um, small business originating service providers? Yeah, it's a really great question and it's a big challenge, right? We, we're trying to form a framework that could theoretically apply to the incredibly diverse set of service provider participants that we have in the marketplace today. Everyone from, you know, your AT&T's, Verizon's, your major mobile carriers that have, you know, millions of subscribers down to, you know, the folks that exist in my local community in North Carolina, you know, Jim Bob down the street, sorry, Jim Bob's probably a bad name. We're going to call him Jim Bob for purposes of this. <laughs> I know a Jim Bob. Uh, that's in the local area that's working with, you know, law offices, um, your accountant, et cetera, to, and often these folks don't even self-identify as communications service providers. They identify as IT managed service providers. That's the service that they provide. And as part of their portfolio, they happen to sell, you know, IP based voice over IP desk phone replacements or, you know, IVR services and software that's associated with those things. But these folks, it's a challenge, right? Because they're the ones that have the ability to directly authenticate who the calling party is because that's their direct customer. But they, if we are thinking that in order to fully implement Stir Shaken, we are going to have to make it such that every single one of these folks is able to and implements the ability to sign their own calls, we have already failed. That's not going to happen. I mean, we'll be here for years trying to get these really small folks. They're totally relying on their underlying service provider for everything telecom, you know, taxes, fees, and surcharges remediation, 
all of their regulars, you know, they, they just don't think about that. And if they have to, they won't sell it and it'll get more expensive for small businesses and consumers, which is not something that we want to have happen. So it's a challenge, right? But I think if we can form some standards for authentication, at least for those folks to try and make it as easy as possible, and then, you know, love to hear your thoughts as well on the certificate aspect of it and how that could be handled or how did that transmission could be handled? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. That brings me to my, you know, favorite uh, topic of um, rich call data. Um, rich call data, you know, we, um, you throw that term around a lot, but we're referring to the type of call signature that allows a caller, not just the originating service provider, but the caller themselves to present information about themselves. And, you know, we'll commonly say they, if they have a logo, they could display the logo. They can send the calling name and authenticate it in the call signature, as well as a reason for calling. And these are all valuable things. But the the important thing that has to go with that is the identity of the caller and then some information about the identity of the caller. So, uh, you know, that's a, a key thing I think Numerical does is that we work on the reputation of uh, phone numbers to help people with their call getting completed. Now we have to do, we have to extend that ability of providing um, reputation to the identity itself. Um, can you uh, tell me what you, what you think about in terms of trust solutions and uh, improving the identity information that's available in those RCD calls? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on it. I think one of the things that I feel like the, the industry should change their focus on is an over-reliance on telephone number as an approximate source of identity, right? And when I say that, I mean, Sir Shaken today has it, one of its underlying goals is operating on the assumption of, you know, its goals is stopping illegal spoofing of numbers. And with the idea that if the recipient or the downstream party or the law enforcement entity can trust that the phone number that's being displayed is actually validly in use by that calling party, then that will have a meaningful, you know, negating effect on illegal robocalling. And I think, you know, there's been debate about whether or not that's true or to what extent that that, that will help. But I think it is true that, you know, phone number is, there's some fundamental flaws with the presumption that, you know, we should be focused on phone numbers as opposed to calling identities as the first and, and foremost thing that we want to be transmitting in a call flow. And one of the major problems with that is that it's just not how the industry works, right? You have phone number providers and then you have outbound calling providers. And very, very commonly, enterprises will have multiple different providers and they will add providers to that call flow and that routing path for very legitimate, non-nefarious business reasons, right? I have, I want to make additional calls to this particular destination. My current carrier doesn't offer great routes, quality, pricing, features, what have you. And so I'm going to add in a secondary carrier and dynamically route my traffic for that destination over that secondary carrier. Or, you know, I have one service provider for my desk phone replacement and one for my call center software and one for whatever it is. 
it's so, become so a la carte and broken up in that way that just fundamentally, often the provider placing those outbound calls cannot directly validate that that customer that's placing the call, even if in a delegated search situation, et cetera, you know, they don't have the direct ability to confirm that, yes, indeed, this is number is owned by that same party because they can't communicate with the party that provided the phone number and collaborate and say, oh, is this your customer? Is this your cut? Co-? Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why that can't happen today. So phone number is something that, you know, it, it's very difficult just based on that structure for the outbound calling carrier to be able to, to validate that. And then separately, you have this issue of phone numbers change very often, but the underlying biz- calling business does not, right? And we've heard about, you know, and it does exist, you know, nefarious number cycling and using too many numbers, et cetera, but that is an issue. But there are also very legitimate reasons why a business might want to change through the phone numbers that it's using, add new ones, remove old ones as people leave, et cetera, et cetera. And so when we think about that as well, really we need to be... if we're thinking about just phone number when its life cycle could very legitimately have so little influence or, or value in identifying the, the legitimacy of that underlying caller, it's just another reason why I think we need to transition to rather than thinking about or just not in in addition to thinking about legitimacy of that caller ID, transmit and identify and authenticate the identity of that calling party because if their identity has been validated and is trusted, whether or not, you know, we know at least they are who they say they are. We don't necessarily know everything about them and what they do, but we, we know that is a real business and this is their name. And that's tied to that business's calls generally, regardless of phone number, then that acts as sort of a natural deterrent to illegal spoofing or poor number utilization practices. And then you can do things like look at number utilization, look at, okay, are these, you know, are they using neighbor spoofing or something like that in a, in a way that's, that's improper. Your behavior is suddenly tied to your identity across the ecosystem. And I think that's really the next, the next thing that the industry really needs to tackle is, you know, how do we, find that identity? How do we authenticate it in a way such that it can be trusted? And how do we send that out through the industry such that everyone involved in that call path can decode and attribute that calling behavior back to that that originating party? Yeah, this, these are critically important things that you're covering there. And I, I hope everybody's picking up on the complexity that Um, You know, we were just talking about the small originating service providers, the complexity that can occur when you're trying to tie trust to a a given telephone number. And, you know, I've I've talked with folks, I've heard it here as well, that um, it could be the situation where you go to a company, let's say it's a fairly, you know, a larger enterprise, and you might have different parts of the enterprise that are wanting to be able to make outbound calling. Maybe one of them is customer care. Another one might be 
you know, whatever the other other group is. And they might be getting numbers from different providers. They might have connections from different providers. Maybe even the purchasing agent doesn't know, you know, anything other than we pay this bill for one of these numbers that we leased. And do you know whether or not that that provider had those numbers legitimately from whoever it is that, you know, when they gave it to you, that the the trail of breadcrumbs that you have to go through or that you would theoretically have to go through is maybe not even there. It meant it, I, I kind of get the feeling that it's just not practical to try and do that. And so the identity information that could be made available, especially in rich call data, um, call signatures becomes much, much more important. And uh, a place where I think that shows up, you asked earlier about certificates, you know, what do I, you know, what, what, what do I see in certificates that uh, are something to pay attention to when we talk about KYC and capturing the identity and being able to transport it. The RCD, you know, we, we use, I use that term so many times, I feel like I need to do a show just on that, but, uh, and I, we kind of did, I mean, that was the global call authentication domination part two, but uh, RCD, for those who aren't familiar with it, it it refers to being able to send that additional enhanced identity information. And there's a couple different ways it can be transmitted. It can be transmitted in a signature that's dedicated to RCD, or it can be transmitted in a signature that's supplied by the originating service provider and just added as claims. Now, if it's done by the originating service provider, you don't get the caller identity that's behind it other than through that telephone number. And as we've just described, what you, you know, what you've see is a layering of identity and a layering of telephone numbers. So we need to get better at that. The certificates that are applied to rich call data signature are called delegate certificates. There are certificates that are issued to an enterprise or an, um, business process outsource organization. And just in talking about that enterprise and a business process outsource organization, you could see where it might be important for the called party or the terminating service provider to know, okay, is this an is this a business pro process outsource organization that's calling? And if they're presenting the the um, identity of Home Depot, how do we know that it's okay for them to have presented that identity? How do we know that exactly. they're representing Home Depot? Is mm -hmm. Home Depot's um, signature somewhere in that certificate? Is there, uh, you know, a claim in the certificate that says, yes, this is, this identity is being uh, presented on my behalf. And that information really isn't there. Um, now there is opportunity to, to add that kind of information. There's different ways that that might be done, but it's not a, a current set of the standards. So that's, that's something that would, you know, need to be worked on. And then, I liked your comment about uh, approximate identity, I think is how you put it for talking about the telephone number. Um, the focus, uh, and maybe this is a change that, you know, not, not just the, see, not, it should be just a change in thinking. It needs to be a change in standards and perhaps a change in regulation as well. And so I think this ties back to the work that you've been doing to try and craft some comments to help the FCC, you know, see what we see. And, uh, Maybe, maybe not, I, I wouldn't want to go back and change the standards that say, well, here's how you capture um, authorization and authentication of a telephone number, but add to it the additional exactly. information insofar as we can, that layering so that we can, so that we recognize it, we talk about it, we document it, and we're able to, to transport that. 
Okay, well, um, we've went faster than we expected. This is the first time we've had this problem with, with me as a host, so. Yeah, um, and I was going to say, I mean, I, I'd love to, since we have a little bit of extra time, maybe just elaborate that and comment on the fact that, you know, I kind of glossed over how, what Know Your Customer processes really are and, and how we might standardize that throughout the industry. Um, I, while we have extra time, we don't have enough extra time for me to do an entire walkthrough of, of every single you know piece of information a company might wish to validate. We're going to have you know a longer form panel and, and some other documentation coming on that. But I do think um, I, I did just want to share that I think one of the the issues that that a lot of these small businesses have with adding in a lot of these validation processes is there's no business incentive for them to do it, right? If a small business, small service provider wants to even, you know, they, they want to do the right thing, they want to validate, they want to make sure they don't want to transmit any fraud, but there are a lot of business reasons why introducing additional authentication processes requiring documentation requiring more pieces of asking more questions creates tension friction and delay in a customer onboarding process that you know unless you see a strong benefit of doing that unless there's some incentive to do it there's there's no reason for these these small providers to do it there's no business reason there's many business reasons not to do it so I think that's one piece of this as well. It's nice to say that we all just need to build robust KYC authentication processes, but we're all here to do business, right? We, we shouldn't assume that everybody is going to benevolently do things that are not in their business interests. And so that's where I think we need to, to find ways, and this is how it ties together, is if by doing this, this caller authentication work and transmitting that information in the call, if we can create and derive a clear benefit to calls that have that information, whether that's a reduction in blocking or labeling, whether that is, you know, more transparency to the consumer, whether that would enable businesses to have some form of spoofing protection um, or enable other services that we could create for businesses that would then be a value add for those institutions, you know, the small businesses that just, you know, they want things in exchange for providing their information. I think that's one thing that this that could theoretically address. And then I think as well, by creating standards that apply across industry, we can get rid of some of this, you know, competitive, you know, push and gap, right? What we have right now is that those that do little to no KYC and just let folks on, versus those that are asking a bunch of questions and doing a bunch of robust analysis are at a competitive disadvantage because you and me, when we sign up for one of these things as a small business, we don't say, you know, well, I really appreciated how thorough my service provider was in asking me about my history and my business ownership. And I, I would appreciate that, but I have a very unique perspective and I understand that most people don't necessarily appreciate that in their service provider or think that that's a great thing. And so um, that's where I think, again, by creating incentives and also accountability to say, yeah, I'm doing this and I want credit for it. 
and I want a reason to keep doing this because I like it, but I'm not going to keep doing it out of the goodness of my heart. That's the other piece that I think needs to come up in this conversation as we, you know, rather than just push standards that nobody's going to follow, create incentives and create accountability for, for folks in following those. Boy, if Eric Priestcounts was here, he, he would have really loved your your comments there about there needs to be an incentive, you know, that right. there is a burden, there is friction. Is it worth it to go at all this work? You know, do they get any benefit from it, uh, from doing the extra work versus not doing the extra work? Right. And uh, I don't know that we have any answers for those questions, but I, I think it's really smart to be thinking about that um, so that we can think about okay how how do you provide an incentive or you know how how do you do that right so right. it's really good well we have uh, a couple of questions that got submitted so let me scroll down to them here and see what uh, people have asked and then we'll we'll call it a day here um, the first one if I can find it okay I thought I could find it okay okay here we go so what is your observation on how stir shake and traceback functionality is being used in the industry today and that's uh, a question for you i think sarah because you were um you know a a vibrant member i'll, I'll use that phrase of the industry traceback group so what's what's your uh view there on the uh, what's your observation on how stir shake and traceback functionality is being used in the industry today yeah, so I, I think there's there's stir shaking and then there's traceback and then how those interact. I think traceback the traceback group just generally um, performs a very critical and increasingly critical from an enforcement perspective function in finding the originating sources of robocalls in an environment in which there's not trusted information about the caller that's transmitted o over the call you have to use something like traceback in order to, you know, find the originating source. So I, I think the traceback group uh, and the functions that it performs are fantastic. I, I have just as my personal observation, it appears that law enforcement agencies are in increasingly relying on traceback data in, uh, you know, identifying the parties against which they, they want to take some sort of uh, enforcement action. Um, in terms of Sir Shaken, you know, unless this has changed very recently, the traceback process continues to rely on starting with the terminating service provider, the provider for the consumer or consumers, because it's usually multiple different phone calls that are being traced back at the same time, that receive the alleged illegal and often illegal robocall campaign um, that, that's the subject of the traceback effort and works that back through each provider upstream on the call. There has been talk about um, not doing that and to the extent that there is stir shaken uh, or there's a certificate attached to it going straight to the signing party of the call and working back from there. Um, I think there were some concerns in that. I think the traceback group could, could speak to that. Um, I don't want to put words in their mouth as to the reasons why they haven't adopted that. But from my understanding, a lot of that is about, you know, one, not having 100% trust in in those signatures on those calls to be able to say, oh yeah, we can definitely skip this part up here. We know exactly who that is. We can trace it back. And it's also about making sure there's consistency of data all the way through because each service provider will have a little bit, sometimes it can 
be a little bit different. We'll have one second off or it's slightly this way or that, you know, the duration's slightly different. It shows up differently in my system. Color ID shows up slightly different in my system. And we want to make sure that that, you know, we definitely are tracing back every single point on that call. I think nobody would argue that it would be a lot more efficient if we could just automatically do tracebacks such that, oh yeah, plug these calls in, who signed them, great. We know exactly who it is. We've short-circuited the entire process. Um, I think no one would argue that that would be great. It's just a question of um, whether we can trust it. And it's an indication that you know, there's more work that needs to be done for the industry to get to the point where again, most calls are still unsigned um, in the ecosystem. There's different statistics, but that's also part of the problem is that a lot of these calls that are going through the traceback process are, are just simply not signed at this point. Yeah, not signed or signed by a downstream provider. Right. So you're only getting, you know, to the same person who's already a traceback group member. So maybe you've short-circuited one hop in your six or seven hop traceback process, but how much is that really buying you when a lot of these providers at the terminate, the largest ones are responding to tracebacks within 10 minutes, an hour, two hours, whatever it is, and yep. you can get through them pretty quick. Yeah. It's just a question yep. of value. Yep. So it's something that needs to be worked on in the future. All right. So we've got one more pre-submitted audience question, which is, has there been any action by the FCC against non-compliant carriers? And we're just about out of, time that's a that's a good question as far as i know there has not been any fcc action against um carriers that are non-compliant to stir shaken i think is the the question that's being asked sarah would you agree with that yeah i think it's it's kind of i'm not sure i fully understand the the specific question that they're asking. there's certainly been a lot of enforcement action but um none recently and um there certainly has been, and I, I will call out just with the, you know, KYC, um, even if this wasn't the thrust of their question, that the FTC and some of their enforcement actions against service providers, it's been really interesting, has laid out some very prescriptive requirements for those service providers in the final judgments and orders against them for KYC, you know, actions and customer due diligence actions that those service providers need to be taking and are required to take. So I think there's a lot of inspiration we can draw there. You know, we're not coming up with this stuff from scratch. The, the FTC and others have already identified that it's this is a critical component to robocall mitigation functionality. Yeah, and they could have been talking about non-compliance to robocall mitigation as well. I get focused on call authentication, but there sure. is more to fighting robocalls than just stir shaking. All right, well, we'd like to thank all of you for joining us today for another episode of Tuesday Talks, and thank you, Sarah, for being a wonderful guest. You can see the two of us back in action on Friday, October 21st at the SIP Forum Stir Shake and Enterprise Summit to expand on some of the ideas discussed uh, <laughs> today. If you'd like to know more about the importance of enterprise identity as a cornerstone of communications trust, the challenges in applying a trust framework, and some best practices for telco providers to implement KYC principles to improve their customer vetting practices, we'll drop that registration link into the chat window so you can attend. Our next live Tuesday talk session will be on Tuesday, October 11th. Hope to see you there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tuesday Talks, your source of truth in the communications industry. Rebecca and Anise will reunite in our next live episode on Tuesday, October 11th, 
where they'll discuss the recent events impacting the messaging channel, including the FCC's recent NPRM on blocking illegal robotexts, and how they predict trusted identity and authentication in the messaging channel can be achieved. We hope to see you there.